Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. I hope you're warm and cozy wherever you are. I know in Texas, it's nice to not have six inches of snow on the ground, which is unheard of for down here. So that's been very nice to see some actual sidewalks again. And today's guest will only bring some more warmth. She's Nancy Stolman, author of Going Short, An Invitation to Flash Fiction, as well as four other books. And Nancy doing just something that I think people need to do more of. They see that there isn't really a resource or something out there that can help a bunch of people with problems. So she just goes out and creates it. She's a big fan of flash fiction, saw that there weren't a ton of books or guides out there to help people hop into that world. So she went out and wrote Going Short herself. It's a 10-year-long process. Writing a book ain't easy. We always say it, it's not easy, but the end result is super helpful. Nancy takes us all throughout the flash fiction journey from creating, sculpting, revisioning, and collecting stories to best practices for writers in any genre. So if you don't even know what flash fiction is, if you're like, it's novel or bust for me, there's plenty of good stuff in here as well. And as Nancy will talk about. She's got lots of different creative projects in addition to writing. She teaches at the University of Colorado Boulder. She's also the lead singer of the lounge metal jazz trio Kinky Mink, which again, lounge metal jazz trio. That's a pretty unusual thing, but Nancy doing it in style. It's fantastic. We're talking about Backstreet Boys. There's lots of good stuff in this episode. So be sure to buckle up or just sit back and relax in your chair because you really don't need to buckle up to listen to a podcast. And if you haven't headed over to the Good People Cool Things merch store lately, you might want to do it because there's a fantastic sale going on, 20% off everything in the store to celebrate one year of this podcast, this website being a thing in the world. That's worth celebrating. And what better way to do it than with a discount on some fantastic merch from hats, hoodies, shirts, mugs, whatever you need to warm up your spirit and your soul and your body, because these are real comfortable as well. Just head on over to goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop, and everything is 20% off. You don't even need to type in a code. You don't even need to go to a special URL. You just go, you pick out what you want, and it's already applied for you at checkout. We're making it super simple, as all things in life should be, just like this super simply enjoyable conversation with Nancy. For those of you who don't know who you are, can you give us your elevator pitch, but can you also describe the elevator that we're on while you're telling us about yourself? Ooh, okay. Well, first of all, we are on a vintage type elevator that creaks a lot. And then as soon as you get off that ground floor, you can actually see everything. You can see the floors like uh, running past you. And uh, there might be like a a big kind of metal cranky thing that's moving up. Um, It's very frightening for some people, but it's really fun for me. (laughs) And, um, and as we're going up, you can see this elevator, which is um, like Victorian looking and uh, all decorated, maybe like uh, turn of the century, turn of the 1900s century um, decor, and maybe even ladies with big hats. Uh, and uh, think Titanic, t- Titanic. 
And my elevator pitch as I'm in this elevator is that I am a writer um, and I'm a writing teacher and professor and everything that goes with writing. Um, but I specialize in flash fiction. So um, I began as a novelist and I've done all the kind of regular routes of writing and I really landed in flash fiction, which are these really tiny, compressed, beautiful little nuggets of stories. And that has just been my sweet spot. So I write it, I teach it, and my new book is all about introducing you to it if you've never heard of it before. So if people have never heard of it before, I like that you said flash fiction. This is in the book, not like you just mm-hmm. said this, but that it was <laughs> uh, it was once marooned in a wasteland, and it's become more popular over the past 25 or so years. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's still some back and forth. I mean, I think most people know fiction versus nonfiction, but then you've got all these different subsets within it, flash fiction, of course, being one of them. There's also microfiction. You've got like vignettes and all that, all that good stuff. So how, how do you define flash fiction compared to the others? Right. So the official definition, I would say, is two things. It's under a thousand words, and that's pretty much the agreed upon standard. So a thousand words or less, and it's telling a story. So it's different than say a poem that might be composed of sentences and might look like prose on the page, um, but maybe isn't telling a story. So flash fiction really has the elements of storytelling, plot, character, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I think that people have always been writing these tiny little stories. I mean, you can go back in every culture and every time and people wrote tiny stories, but I think that flash fiction really has come into its own with the moniker, frankly. Uh, I think as soon as somebody, and uh, James Thomas is credited uh, for naming it, coming up with the flash fiction as the name, I think once you kind of created a a flag and staked that ground, then suddenly people who'd been writing all these little tiny stories but didn't really know what to do with it or what to call it or how do I publish it or, or, or you know, what is it? It's like a little monster. Um, <laughs> now everybody can gather and they're like, wait a minute, guys, all the little stories over here, we have a name, we are official. And so I think that because of the moniker and because of that legitimacy that comes from that, uh, it's become a genre that's just exploding in the underground. I mean, I can hardly keep up with people who are finding flash fiction and, and you know, suddenly like getting their world blown open as they're either reading or writing flash fiction for the first time and realizing like, wow, this is a whole different thing and it's really cool. Now I'm picturing a little flash fiction monster and <laughs> if there's not a mascot already, we'll have to do some, some design work <laughs> to make it I happen. And yeah, I think, I mean, my my introduction to flash fiction, I think, is probably similar to a lot of people's of like, you know, I came across some of it and was like, wait a minute, like, this is a full story, but it's like so condensed and short. And it's, I think it really is a good example of like, how to be direct and cut down on your words, but you can still be descriptive, even with that sort of upper word limit. And it's it's like a very nice balance of kind of being you know, not overtly flowery, which I think is, is super easy to do, mm-hmm. but also having like a lot of good descriptors in it. And so do you remember, and I'm sure you have consumed all kinds of flash fiction, but do you remember the first time you ever read it or the first one that made you think, wait a minute, 
this is something I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yes, I definitely remember the first time I was introduced to it and it was when I was in graduate school. So this was about 12 years ago. And at the time I was, I considered myself a novelist and I was, uh, I, I had always been writing kind of long form, kind of classically structured pieces. And I, um, I took a class on flash fiction because I'd never heard of it and it sounded interesting. And I remember the first few weeks of the class as I started absorbing what this was and, and we're talking like 2008. So it was even less defined then than it is now. Uh, I was, as I was writing it, turning it in, I was really struggling. I was like, I'm so used to writing long form. Uh, so I would kind of take my long form stories and just sort of chop them up and then submit them as flash fiction. And that works for a little while. You can kind of pull that off for a little while until you realize like you're missing the point. The point of flash fiction is like, you just conceive the world differently. It would be the same as if I took a short story and I put line breaks in it and I called it a poem. It's not really a poem. It's a short story with line breaks in it. And so for me, it was all about realizing that I could see the world through an entirely different lens, through this tiny little flash fiction lens. And then when you kind of hold that lens up to the world, you see all these little tiny stories everywhere. And so for me, it was... It was like permission to uh, stop adhering to this kind of classical structure that I'd been so married to, partially because I didn't know there was any other way. So um, as soon as I really embraced it and started actually writing flash fiction pieces, not just cannibalizing my own work, uh, I realized like, wow, sometimes you really only need 500 words to say it. And if you thought it needed to be 10 pages long, you could end up creating this sort of diluted thing that really should have only been 500 words to begin with. You went from novels to flash fiction, but then why, why a book? Why, what inspired you to put this book together? Was it just like, hey, I'm seeing all this kind of misinformation out there? Or you were like, hey, this would have been super helpful when I was getting started, so why not make it happen? <laughs> Kind of both and all. Um, as, as early as 2010, I would say, uh, as I started publishing flash fiction, and then I actually, with the people in my graduate um, flash fiction class in my in graduate school, we actually put together a press, like an indie flash fiction press. So we started publishing flash fiction and just kind of playing around with it, making anthologies, and um, and so I, as as early as 2010, people were coming up to me and saying like wow, can you recommend like a book about flash fiction? Like if I want to learn more about flash fiction and how to write it. And I couldn't recommend a book because there wasn't a book. And the only books that there were, were anthologies of people's flash fiction, including the Norton anthologies, which are great. And those are, um, those are the ones that James Thomas has been doing for years and where the name came from. And as a teacher, which I quickly became a teacher after that, uh, we had to just use the anthologies and we had to kind of create our own curriculums because there weren't these craft writing books that were flash fiction specific. So, so I decided I better write one since there isn't one. And I sort of thought it would be, I didn't think it was going to take me 10 years to do it basically, <laughs> but, uh, but I started writing it and I was like, okay, all the things that I keep having to tell people over and over, I'm just going to write them down, you know, and all the things that I'm using in my workshops, I'm going to just start writing them down. 
And it just became this crazy, I don't want to use the word monster again, but it just became this unruly thing where it was like, the more I started writing about flash fiction, the more I grew as a writer and the more that the genre changed. It's been, you know, this is a living genre that's growing and changing like right under our fingers all the time, which is extremely exciting. And so I had to keep adding to it and updating it. And then I became smarter and I would have to change a whole section because I didn't even know what I was talking about two years ago and, and on and on and on. And so finally, 10 years later, the book came to a stopping point. I won't say that it's finished because I could still be writing it for the next 10 years, but it came to a stopping point and uh, it was time. It was time to put it out there. And so much of what's in there came from me being both a teacher and a writer of it, like in the mud of it. So uh, it feels very personal to me as well as, you know, this is everything that I know from like being on the forefront of flash fiction for the last 12 years. I hope it helps you. <laughs> basically. And do you have plans to kind of turn it almost like an encyclopedia where you're coming out with updates since mm -hmm. it is such a rapidly changing world? Or is it like, I've spent 10 years on this. There's a <laughs> lot of good stuff in it. Enjoy, at mm -hmm. least for the next couple of years. Right. I've never considered that, but um, I'm going to sock that idea away. Um, I'll take 2% royalties it, for the idea. Yes, you can. 1% one one fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> No, I, I think at least as soon as it came out, I had this feeling almost of like exhaustion where it's like, I literally have nothing else to say about flash fiction that I haven't said in that book. So there's a little bit of this feeling of like everything that I know about flash fiction I put in there. Now, a couple of years from now, I'm going to have so much more to say about it. And I'm already kind of saying new things about different angles of it. But um, yeah, there's a part of me that feels like that one's going to be good for a little while. And I, I suspect that um, now that the ground has kind of been broken a little bit, that there may be other people who kind of throw their two cents into the arena as well. And that will sort of round things out. Yeah, for sure. And you can say, hey, I was here before all of you. So <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, you know, there are always people before me. We all we all stand on the shoulders of others. Absolutely. Have you, uh, or I, I guess since the, the book is still so new, are you introducing it to your class as part of the curriculum? Or do you just kind of mention like, hey, maybe, maybe you should read this too? <laughs> yeah, I've sort of been doing it that way for now. I haven't figured out a way that felt like tactful to be like, and by the way, if you turn to page 20 of my book, you will see. Um, but I do definitely quote it, you know, I'll be talking about something and I'll say, you know what, I, I, already said that in the book. So I'm just going to kind of cut and paste the book here and um, quote that section there. So I'm using it more in that way right now, where I'm kind of offering little tidbits that are um, separate from the whole book. And I'm, I'm feeling like that's what I need to be doing more, even on social media too, is just kind of um, offering these little like insights uh, so that people, you know, I think it, especially for somebody who maybe doesn't know about flash fiction, I think you know, buying a whole book that can be intimidating. You know? So I think just kind of offering these little lessons as people start to warm up to the idea, I think is is the next thing that I'm going to be doing. And things like this, being on podcasts, talking about it, um, writing, you know, for other magazines and such. So um, yeah, that's that's sort of how I see it happening. But I don't know. It is brand new. So I don't really know. 
Yeah, I think it, it is kind of a big sandbox where you can experiment with things. And I was over here nodding, saying, yeah, that's what I'm doing with podcasting, too. Like, some people mm-hmm. are not in a position or mood even to listen to a 45-minute a podcast, but they'll listen to a 30- to 60-second audio clip and still get something of value out of it. So I, I think those are all good ways to kind of take it. And I, I think that's something that is very enjoyable about the book is that you you can you know get through it pretty easily, I think. There's a lot in it, but it's not like overbearing uh, and that everything is laid out really nicely and neatly. And kudos to you for making it uh, uh, something that I think is accessible, even if people really don't have an introduction or much knowledge around flash fiction. Thanks. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up because um, for people who are listening, uh, I'll try to describe what it looks like. So there's a lot of white space in the book. And I actually wrote the chapters um, as, as if they were flash fiction pieces. So you'll get a chapter that's just one page, you know, or maybe one and a half pages. So you can pretty much sit down, open the book to any page, and you could read a chapter in about three minutes. And that's really intentional because it was sort of like, let me talk about the form while demonstrating the form. And so, yeah, there's a lot of white space. Um, I think the whole book is around 100 and it's just over 100 pages, I want to say, and you could probably read it in a couple of sittings if you were really dedicated, but I think you could also use it almost like a, like a divining mechanism where you, you know, open it up and get your lesson of the day and then uh, get to work writing. At least that's how I was hoping that it would be used. No, I think, I think that fits in nicely. Maybe I need to start doing that. It'll be my little like three minute wake up call. I love and it. And then get into writing. and. Obviously, flash fiction is its own behemoth, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But can people who are maybe doing novel writing or putting a nonfiction book together, can they have some takeaways from this too? Definitely. Definitely. And that's one of the things that I say early on in the book is that I think you know, people come to flash fiction from different doors. So some people are new to writing in general. So everything they're going to learn about flash fiction um, is also just going to help them become a better writer. But if you're coming from, say, long form fiction, like writing novels, or writing nonfiction, say you're writing memoir, or from poetry, uh, you're going to come into flash fiction with different strengths, and you're going to find your weaknesses. So I think that it it can help you be a better writer regardless. For instance, so if you're a novelist, say, coming into flash fiction, uh, you're probably already pretty good at storytelling, narrative, plot, character, all of that sort of thing. Uh, You're probably going to struggle with the word count. You're probably going to find the challenge is going to be around that constraint of a thousand words and you're going to want to go over, you're going to feel like it's not enough and you're going to really have to challenge yourself to rethink what you want to say through a smaller lens. On the other hand, let's say, let's say you're coming from poetry. Uh, You're probably pretty good at working in a small space, you know, working within constraints, um, getting very precise about your language using white space, but maybe you have not honed the skills of plot and storytelling in that small space. Uh, 
So I, I feel like even if your intention is to be a different sort of writer, flash fiction is going to teach you things about your own writing that are going to help you regardless, regardless of your genre or your aspirations. Yeah, for sure. And one other thing that I always love asking authors about is the book cover. You know the old mm. phrase, never judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. But people do. <laughs> people see covers, <laughs> especially nowadays if you're doing your shopping online, although I still think one of the simple pleasures in life is visiting a bookstore, a physical bookstore. I think it's, yes. they're so wonderful, so charming and quirky and fantastic. But a lot of us are maybe doing our browsing through digital windows, similar to podcasting, you're scrolling through, you've got maybe like 50 options right in front of you. So talk about the cover here and how, how did you come to the final decision? Mm, I love the cover of the book. Um, covers are one of my like special pleasures and uh, having worked only with indie publishers up until now, I've got um, you know five different books out there and I've been able to design or at least have a hand in designing all my covers. So that's one of the gifts of working with indie publishers, but I love this cover. It was designed by Janice Lee Agra. She's also a wonderful flash fiction writer and a wonderful artist. She's got all sorts of things online. I will say her name slower, Janice Liegra, L-E-A-G-R-A. And um, the idea for me was that the cover, I wanted it to have this Alice in Wonderland feel without being overtly Alice in Wonderland because I had this idea of like, you know, going short, you know, the book is called Going Short. And this idea of like, you know, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and suddenly ending up tiny and going through the tiny door. Like there's the tiny little door, but you're too big to go through the tiny door until you drink the Kool-Aid and the book is like the Kool-Aid. So, so the cover has this very kind of, um, it's subtle, but it's got this kind of subtle trippy feeling to it. That's, um, in my mind, reminiscent of, uh, inviting you in to the tiny door to see what's in there. So um, I really loved the way that she pulled that off. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it's delightful. I love it. Yeah, I think it's a, a really eye-catching cover. And I, I, I like the Alice in Wonderland. I can definitely see some of the, the influences of that there. And I, like, to me, I like the, the door, like the doorway of leaping into it and exploring this new world. Very well done. Thanks. Yeah, I love it. I think, I mean, for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a writer, but I'm very, like, I dabble in all sorts of creative realms. And so the visual is just so compelling to me. I think if I had other lives, I would, you know, dabble in all sorts of other things. But um, yeah, I would never... I would never have a cover that didn't just like knock my socks off. You know, <laughs> I, I look at some people's covers and, you know, it's a simple cover and that's beautiful and elegant. Um, my covers are not usually elegant. They're usually a little wild. Yeah, I think that's that's more uh, that's more my speed, too. I, I can appreciate a good like catcher in the rye. <laughs> just, you know, a white cover, basically. But right. If I'm designing it, I want. I want some random, uh, random stuff in there. Maybe even an Easter egg or two. Throw, throw a couple nice things exactly. in there. Exactly. Yep. And you, you kind of teed this up nicely, talking about your other creative endeavors as well. <laughs> and we're gonna have to talk about Kinky Mink, your lounge metal yeah. jazz trio, which I don't know <laughs> if I've ever seen 
those words in succession of a lounge metal jazz trio. How did how did all of this come about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I think again, it was one of these ideas that was ahead of its time. We started doing it in um, 2011, I want to say. My partner is a um, classical pianist, and we just started kind of messing around. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a singer, not I, I wasn't a professional singer at the time, but I've always been a singer, musical theater background, and all of that. So just in our messing around, um, we would just start playing through like 80s songbooks, but start, you know, improvising them in these jazzy lounge styles. Um, it's definitely been something that a, a, a band like um, the Postmodern Jukebox is doing now and that sort of thing, but uh, it, it just caught on. And with my partner being, uh, you know, classically trained and all of that, he can do all those classical trills. Um, we just said, you know, what would happen if we did Ozzy Osbourne uh, jazz lounge style and I got in a sparkly dress and laid on top of the piano and um, very influenced by like the fabulous Baker Boys, which is a great movie. If you haven't seen it, any of your listeners out there, it's classic 80s Michelle Pfeiffer uh, lying on the piano and singing. And so we just did a lot of that. And uh, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne and Metallica and you know, then things like Bon Jovi and just ZZ Top and just had so much fun. And then of course, this whole element of theatrics with it, we got a drummer. So there was three of us and um, yeah, we, we just had so much fun. And we have so many stories too, of like um, being booked to play in a let's say quote regular jazz club and then next thing they know they're getting like white wedding and I'm in like a wedding dress you know singing this crazy like white wedding lounge style with reverb and all this stuff and they're like um yeah you can't come back here again (laughs) but uh it's been so much fun and it's just been this other place for me to explore creativity and all of these things inform my writing so I think the more creative avenues you have, the better, but um, it's just been such a joy. I just love it. And then we've written a couple original things too. We've got a couple of music videos on uh, YouTube. Uh, the One of them is uh, Tie Me Up for Christmas, which is uh, our big Christmas <laughs> song and it's very um, silly. And uh, yeah, so you can have fun and watch those as well. Fantastic, I'm looking forward to it. I didn't know there was uh, some YouTube action as well. And mm-hmm. Christmas, mm-hmm. Christmas songs. That's a smart musical play. You always get, uh, yeah, you get that longevity that you you don't always get. Exactly. I like yep. it. I like it. Creative and smart business acumen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And something I always like to ask musicians, although maybe you touched on this with uh, the surprised jazz uh, venues, but. If if there is a worse gig than that, what's the worst show that you've ever played? Oh, worst show. Yeah. I mean, I remember playing in this French restaurant and she, the rest, we should have known that the restaurant was not going to make it. And <laughs> therefore their clientele, they may not have a lot of people, but she was like, you know, I'd love for you to do like a brunch. And at that point we'd added a few things to our repertoire that were, you know, um, family friendly and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, riffs on Sinatra and that sort of thing. But uh, she's like, I'd love for you to do like the Sunday brunch. And we've got, you know, this French 
brunch and mimosas and the whole bit. And um, so we said, okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't our ideal gig, but we were like, you know, it seems cool. This French restaurant art cafe was kind of cool. Um, and there was just one person in the audience for about the first 45 minutes. Oh. And that person was a person that I had invited or who had gotten the notice through my social media. So I hadn't seen her in years. And there she was like with her husband and they're both eating their eggs Benedict and looking embarrassed for us. And we were just <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you don't have to look at us. Finally, of course, people started coming in, but uh, you know, it went out of business shortly after that. So um, yeah, I think we really learned to not just take any gig because it was offered, um, but to make sure that if we're going to get our audience motivated, that it's going to be worth their time. Yeah, I think that's a good, a good lesson. Hopefully you got a nice brunch out of it though, if nothing else. Yeah, oh, we did. We got, we got a good brunch, French brunch. It was tasty. Yeah. French brunch is usually pretty good. <laughs> It's very nice, yeah. Yeah, it's the nice perks of it, but and it and it makes mm -hmm. for a good story later on. I thought that was yes. very enjoyable. I know it's always terrible in the moment, but that's one of my favorite things to ask musicians. Right. Well, and so much of what we did, especially at the beginning, was we were just over the top so much that our audiences would, you know, they would leave with their jaw sort of like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that, you know, like. Um, just not expecting it at all. Like, as I was talking about the wedding dress. So when we would do white wedding, I would put on this whole wedding dress and then come like walking through the aisle of people, which is great if you're in like a weird club, but when you're in like a classical jazz club and they're expecting classical jazz and here's like, you know, like a weird procession, gothy looking, you know, into this white wedding. Um, I remember we used to laugh. There was um, this jazz musician who is really well known in Denver. And he came to one of our shows and we overheard him at the bar talking to somebody else. And he was like, that ain't jazz. <laughs> and we, were, we just said we should name our next album. That ain't jazz. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I find that what I do creatively tends to be at these crossroads of multiple genres. So that's kind of what happened with Kiki Mink is that, you know, we hit this crossroads of jazz lounge music, 80s heavy metal, like performance, uh, you know, avant-garde performance. And, and, and it created this thing that didn't, doesn't really have a name. It doesn't have a category. And that's probably how flash fiction seemed to people for a long time. You know, what is this? Is it a story? Is it a poem? I don't know what to call it. I don't know where it fits. And uh, so I find that a lot of my creative work ends up in these crossroads of multiple categories i mean i think that's more fun to me it sounds like you yeah. get to you get to dip your toes in a lot more than i mean do you just want to be playing straight up jazz no no <laughs> no the people are much more comfortable with it but it's boring <laughs> as a creative it's boring one of the things that um i created with that with my partner and with people who are in kinky mink and and others we did i wrote a book in 2013 called the monster opera and it's very avant-garde. It's the weirdest thing I've ever written. And <laughs> my partner wrote an opera score to it. And we actually made like an operetta out of it and then performed this operetta multiple times. And 
again, people were like, what was that, you know, at the end, but what was cool is that we did it once and everybody just sort of had this like shocked look on their face as they were leaving. And then the next year we did it again and it was just packed and people were like, you have got to see this, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I think that I find that a lot of my work is like a little bit ahead of what people are comfortable with, but they eventually catch up. That's a wonderful way to put it. That's some good word of mouth as well. Getting getting the jaws up off the floor and getting bodies mm-hmm. in the seats. Or I guess standing probably is, is more, yep. more accurate there. But fantastic all around. And I, I will certainly link to the music videos in the show notes yeah, for the episode you. so everyone can get some good jams. One other music question before, you're, uh, before we head into the top three. Outside of metal songs what is one of your like it comes on you have to start belting singing along you know if you're in the car you're out at the park Mm -hmm. even you're listening to headphones while you're grocery shopping Mm -hmm. what's one of those songs right um (laughs) pretty much anything but (laughs) am i am i allowed to say backstreet boys of course I will. Yeah. So I, I will start singing Backstreet Boys and, um, you know, I have a son who's horrified by this and, uh, that's okay. I'm also like, I love Ella Fitzgerald. I will sing anything that Ella Fitzgerald is singing. I think she just has like this magical syrupy voice that I love so much. Um, but yeah, my guilty pleasure is the Backstreet Boys. Do you have a favorite Backstreet Boy? No, no, I have not gotten that deeply into it because I'm ashamed. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I I am yeah. alarmed at how uh, extensive my Backstreet Boys knowledge is, I would say. Okay, but yeah, yeah. I, I would like to credit my sister who was, I think she was 14 or 15 when Backstreet Boys were hitting their peak. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's. That's prime time for getting into that, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, can still certainly name them all. Uh, I I definitely fell off after the you know the prime years in the early two thousands, but right. I I I can name more than a handful of Backstreet Boys songs, which is probably I love it. Probably more than most people can do. And I I, I thought the documentary was pretty interesting as well, which I am totally uh... blanking on the name on, but uh, certainly not groundbreaking. But it had a couple moments in it where I was kind of right. like you know. There's some internal turmoil that we never knew existed. Right. right. Yes. The making of a good documentary. I have not seen that documentary, but I'm going to see it now this weekend, probably. Excellent. Excellent. I'm so yeah. glad I can yeah. inspire you. And there's, yeah, there's, I remember very little from it except, uh, well, I don't want to spoil the scene, but there's, it's when Brian and Nick are yelling at each other. So when, uh, when you get to that part, you'll know. I'll know. I'll know. Exactly. Yeah. How fun. Oh, I'm excited. This this makes my day that this exists. I'm going to know so much more. I'm going to be able to answer, which is my favorite one. If you talk to me after the weekend. Oh, I'm following up on Monday with her <laughs> immediately with a Backstreet Boys quiz and questionnaire. <laughs> I'll be ready because I'm, I'm prepared like that. Excellent. Excellent. I know it'll steer you the right way. And we're almost <laughs> steering ourselves to the end of this podcast. But first, We've got to wrap up with our top three. And we were chatting a little bit before this that one of the things in your bio is that you aspire to be a pirate someday. And so I assume this will be one of your answers, but maybe you'll go rogue with three other ones. But what would your top three alternate lives be? 
Well, I have to put pirate. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, and I've always had this like overly romanticized ideal of the pirate as just this like lovely rebel. And I think that's really what I am deep inside is this lovely rebel. I mean, I think that I, I don't want to necessarily kill people. So, you know, there's <laughs> that, but if I could just have the pirate life without any of the killing part, um, I think just looting and, you know, drinking and throwing things, it's just, it's so lovely. And there's just something, every time I see a pirate flag or anybody like flying a pirate flag, there's just this kinship to me where I'm like, yeah, like, you and me, let's do it. So um, yeah, I would have to be a pirate. Alternate lives. I think a movie star, like that was my, that was my first one as early as three or four years old, um, where I was just, you know, anything having to do with being a movie star. Uh, I went to, you know, I was a musical theater person and uh, had all these different like aspirations about how I was gonna go to Hollywood and all of this. And there's still this tiny little part of me that's like, you know what, I could still do it right now. So uh, definitely being a movie star. And then I think my third, it would have to be something creative. I think that there's a part of me that would love to like be a fashion designer, maybe not necessarily a model, but like creating clothing. I'm really into fashion and just kind of the, uh, all the not again, not like classic French fashion, but more like David Bowie, you know, like how could I, how could I take fashion and, and again, hit that juxtaposition of multiple things. So um, yeah, if I could have a couple extra lives this time around, I think that's what I do with them. Fantastic choices. I'm certainly more of the, I, I don't even think I'd be in David Bowie. I'd be like, what can I put together with these like eight scraps of fabric that I have? And it would it. look atrocious, but hopefully someone would enjoy wearing it. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, Nancy, thank you so much. I thought this was an absolute joy, much like reading Going Short is. If people want to pick up a copy of the book or want to learn more about you, where can they go? Yeah. So my website is my name, uh, nancystolman.com. That's S-T-O-H-L-M-A-N, um, all together. Uh, Ad Hoc Fiction is the publisher, Ad Hawk, two words, fiction, and the books on Amazon and all of that as well. Um, and also on my website, if you are wanting to learn more about workshops that I'm giving, I also do flash fiction retreats as soon as we can travel again. I've got all sorts of great plans for that. Um, workshops, especially over the summer. So there's a lot of good stuff happening over my website. I'd love to see you over there. Fantastic. We'll all be there. And of course, we'll share some kinky mink as well, given all the creative Perfect. outlets, some love. And as we often do, I say often, as we always do on this show, let's end mm -hmm. with a corny joke and we'll keep it writing themed. What do you call a writer who doesn't follow the classic rules of sentence structure? Oh no, I don't know. A rebel without a clause. Uh, Good after it today, people. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use that. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you dug this episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podchaser, or any other podcast app, I want to keep delivering great content to you. You want to keep hearing it. Tap that subscribe button. We'll see you next time.